Well, today is, uh, we're coming to the end of the year, and you know, about five years ago, I hope, and I don't think since, I certainly hope not anyway, uh, about five years ago, uh, I think January 1st was on a Shabbat, I think it's one way, and I spoke uh, from uh, Psalm 90, and, uh, and so this uh, past uh, couple of weeks in our Tuesday night and in our Wednesday morning uh, uh, Chavurah, uh, I thought about this psalm uh, again because it is so poignant uh, to the world in which we live. It, it really is. I mean, there are many there are many texts that speak directly into um, you know into our lives and into this world, but this one in particular uh, I think is uh, is quite important to us. So uh, we're going to take a look at it and uh, see what we can uh, glean from it. <clears throat> and so uh, let me read the first, uh, about the first half of it, okay? It says, a psalm of Mo- a prayer of Moses, the man of God. You know, there's something uh, to know about that. By, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know that in the psalms, you know, that those, those little words like above verse 1, they're called the superscription Right. Well, do you know that in uh, in the Hebrew Bible they are verse one? They're not like um, like the people that brought you the New American Standard Version uh, gave uh, gave little hints or uh, little bits of information or you know that's verse one. Uh, and then you might say, well, how come then it's not verse one in our English Bibles? Well, go ask your publisher of your English Bibles that question. I think it's a pretty dandy question uh, to ask. All right? So that's important. All right? Uh, so that's why whenever, read this, whenever you're going to read a psalm, if you're ever going to read the Bible publicly and you're reading a psalm, why am I going off on this? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that uh, read the superscription, even if you can't pronounce all the words correctly. Okay? Because it's, it's verse 1 all the time. All right. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou dost turn man back into dust, and dost say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch in the night, thou hast swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass, which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we have been dismayed. Thou hast placed our iniquity before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. For all our days have declined in thy fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years and if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of thine anger and thy fury according to the fear that is due thee? Well, that ought to send us right down. Right? So this is a psalm of lament. Okay? 
You see, psalms of lament are more than meets the eye. So, you know, when you read this, when we uh, had our uh, men's Wednesday morning uh, meeting a week ago, I asked everyone, how is, you know, this is attributed to Moses? And it's important that he's called the man of God uh, here in this text, okay? Because when you read verses 1 to 11, you know, I asked the question, how was Moses feeling? And, you know, uh, it was interesting because most of the answers were like, uh, well, uh, uh, you know, God is uh, the dwelling place. Or uh, it says that, uh, you know, after we, we live and we die. And I said, that's all good, but how is Moses feeling? It's not necessarily a word that you can find in, in the verses, you know? So when you read it, Moses, the man of God, I, we could say maybe is feeling uh, a little bit down, right? You know about his life, and, uh, and we know that uh, through the uh, years of the wilderness wanderings, right, uh, expectations were not exactly met. Moses, looking one direction, sees horizon and sand, and the other direction is grumbling people. And his expectation, his belief, what he knows to be true, is that there is a land of milk and honey and pomegranates and grapes and a marvelous dwelling place that God has promised. Right? But Moses comes toward the end of his life and it becomes quite clear that he in his life is not going to see that land. And Moses had to come to terms with this. May I suggest that that should be perhaps a picture that we draw of the, of the context here. But the wonderful thing about the Psalms, and Psalm 90 in particular, it doesn't just speak to the context of Moses' life. It certainly speaks to the life of Israel the life of Israel dwelling in the land with his marvelous temple that Solomon had built. It certainly speaks to the northern kingdom of Israel as well as that southern kingdom of Judah who thought they were all invincible because, hey, we are the chosen people. We have a temple. We have this sovereign God on our side. There's no way that anything as, as bad as exile could ever happen to us. But lo and behold, expectations are not met and exile happens. There's a great passage, by the way, I'll just paraphrase it. In, in Jeremiah chapter 7, it's one of those, uh, it serves, the reason it sticks in my mind, it serves a lot of purposes uh, about how the prophets used language, Right? And so basically, if you know the story of uh, Jeremiah and what's going on there, uh, he's telling them that you're going to go into captivity. And they're telling him, no, we're not, because we've heard some really good news from other prophets that have told us that we're going through this uh, little season, but because we're the chosen people and because we have the temple, nothing bad can really happen to us. So in Jeremiah chapter 7, you read, Jeremiah says, you say to yourselves, the temple, the temple, the temple. And he repeats it three times. I would suggest 
he's mimicking them when he says it. Maybe like with one of those high voices. You're saying, the temple, the temple, the temple, right? But I'm telling you, no. You know, what's interesting about that, there was at, at that time in Jeremiah's day, there was a uh, um, uh, competing theologies of Israel. Did you know that? Can you believe there would be such a thing? Competing theologies of Israel. There was a temple theology and there was a Torah theology, right? Uh, the temple theology was what the people were preaching. The Torah theology is what Jeremiah was preaching. Even though we have a temple, we must be true to the word of God. We must be true and obedient to the word. In our uh, MSI, Prophets 1 and 2 course, we make much of that. Uh, so uh, another opportunity for, uh, for study. But anyway, expectations were not met. And so certainly it applies here. And then what about later on in the Second Temple period, right? When in 70 AD, 66 to 70 AD, you have the Roman War uh, and the, uh, the, te- the Second Temple is destroyed and the people go into exile for 2,000 years, basically, right? Uh, expectations not met. And then, of course, in those intervening 2,000 years, we, there's a litany of uh, a Jewish experiences, of Israelite experiences, of unmet expectations and wondering where God is. And so certainly in the history of Israel, Psalm 90 plays a very important role. But not only that, as Messiah followers, when we come to faith in Yeshua and live under the authority of the King of, the king of Israel, we may wonder then, why is my life turning out the way it is if I have placed my lot with the king of Israel? Or we may look at the world and say, it is chaos. Where is God? What's happening? So, you know, there are two ways that we experience the world. One is simply by experiencing whatever happens. And the other way is by interpreting those experiences of what happens, right? And so if we, if we only go by our experiences, then we may wonder if there is a God or what's happening or what will be. But fortunately, when we come to know the Messiah, God gives us a worldview in which we can interpret things that happen. For example, we might say, as believers in Yeshua, that the world is chaotic because of sin. You know, that, does, that doesn't come naturally. You don't, you don't think that just by looking out the window, okay? We may think that because we're, we're so, maybe, maybe from the time we're very young or, or from a, a young age uh, or from reading the Bible, we come to understand that, right? But it, it is how we understand the world to be. And so there's this tension that we live with. There's the experiences that we have and how we interpret them, okay? So uh, we live with this tension. And as we come to the end of a year and the beginning of another year, we continue to live with this tension that life is precarious, even for us who know Messiah. And how could this be? And how long will it be? And uh, is the glass half empty or half full? Uh, Should I be depressed or joyful? You know, what should my emotions be when I see the world uh, around me? 
So, you know, one of the, uh, there's a great word that really defines the, the way we see the, uh, when we read the Bible, how things ought to be and how they are, and that is paradox, right? It seems they ought to be one way, but things kind of go the other way. And the Psalms are famous for this. So at the beginning of this Psalm, in Psalm 90, at the beginning, there's this great acknowledgement of God and who God is and God's power uh, and that he's been our dwelling place and so on. When it says, Lord, thou has been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, you know, that the, the word for dwelling place, ma'on, is a very interesting word. It's kind of an unusual word for dwelling place. You know what it is normally? It is sort of, it's used for uh, places where animals live, like a den. You might use the word den. Or there's even, a, there's a famous verse. If you, if, you, if you study this word, it's very interesting. There's a famous verse where, uh, where jackals live. It's called a haunt, right? And this word is used. So how could this be like a dwelling place? How could this, why is this word used? Why not yashav, you know, dwelling place? Or even uh, the other words that, that mean like uh, a shelter uh, or a place of refuge. But this word is used because it speaks of God as our dwelling place uh, in, so to speak, in a very perhaps far off and protective place. So when it says here, before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth from everlasting, thou art God. So he is our dwelling place, he is our refuge, because uh, where we dwell in him is not accessible, one might say, to others. It is, it is his dwelling place and not accessible to others. It's like, so if you, uh, you know, I, um, uh, happen to where uh, a bunch of wolves may live, it might not be a good place for you unless you're a baby wolf, Right? Uh, and, and so uh, we dwell in this secure, remote place in the presence of God. So that's kind of what the word is. You know, Hebrew is such a colorful language. It's kind of bringing out that idea, that, that idea of God's protection uh, and inaccessibility to, to things outside. So that's how it begins. But then it goes on to say that we live and we die. You know, generations come and go. It sounds like. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, when you're reading this. But it's, but it's Moses himself. Moses who knows God. Moses who knows the promise of God. Okay? Uh, and so we see that uh, Moses uh, is lamenting the situation. It doesn't mean he doesn't believe. It doesn't mean that uh, he is not trusting God. But he's looking, at the, he's looking at the experience. He's looking at the reality. And he's having a hard time with God being the dwelling place. But look, as a result of sin, yes, look at the suffering that uh, goes on. Okay? So it's important that we don't just uh, fly by that, you know, and look for comforting verses. Because the world is not a comforting place. We're ending one year and going into another, and it is, we're on a precarious perch in our world. And as Messiah followers, we don't sugarcoat that, you know? I, we're not just, uh, you know, when we receive Messiah into our lives, we're not waiting to 
um, uh, you know, suck in the tailpipe, and then I'll go to heaven, right? That's not how we live. That's not how we, uh, how we dwell. God has placed us in this world, as it were, like the Israelites in the wilderness, right? Uh, where the wilderness was a very uncomfortable place, so our world is very uncomfortable, is an uncomfortable place. And the sooner as believers in Yeshua, we just get that, we will not have unrealistic expectations of God. And then say, well, how could God allow this? Or why did God do that? You know, that we, we need to get that. Okay. So now, how does Moses respond? He's lamenting, you know, venting, we might say. And so there you go. If it ended there, we'd say, okay, Moses is like the rest of us. All right. He vents. Okay. But he responds then in a particular kind of way, right? So he says in verse 12, so, having said all of that, so, he doesn't say, so let me just lay down and die, right? Or so I give up. No. He reaches out to God whom he trusts who he feels the freedom to lament to. And he says, So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Okay. Teach us to number our days. Well, without going through all of the interesting things about the, all the, the words here, let me just say that he's not saying get out a calendar and X out each day, you know, waiting for the final day. Like, I'm glad that day's over with right? There are some theologies that kind of work that way, you know? Uh, but that's not what he is saying. He's in a sense saying the opposite of that. Because, you know, a fatalistic approach to life is to say, okay, I'm glad that day's over, right? Whatever bad happens already happened. Now we go on to the next day. And that means it's one day closer to the Messiah returning. All right, you know? Uh, but that's not what he's saying. He's actually saying embrace every day. Embrace every day. Possess every day. Make every day count. And he's, but he says, Lord, teach me to do that. Because you see, when you just look at the first, 12, uh, first 11 verses, it's hard to think that. It's hard to be that way. It's hard to say, Lord, make every day count. When you look at these verses, Lord, of like, Lord, end it already. But, he sa- but what he's saying is, Lord, teach me to make the most of my life in the midst of a chaotic, sinful world where I am not immune from the things that happen. Teach me, Lord, to embrace it. Teach me, Lord, to find in every day meaning and productivity and life and blessing, the infusion of life every day. Teach me, Lord, to do that. That does not come naturally to us. We are fortunate that since Yeshua has come, we have the indwelling Ruach. We have the Spirit of God, the the Holy Spirit, uh, in our lives. And so, therefore, as we yield to the filling of the Spirit of God, every moment of every day belongs to Him. Uh, And we can be empowered to live that way. 
And to recognize from the time we, we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night, the day, the time belongs indeed to God. Lord, teach us to number our days, that each day might be a, uh, an inheritance, each day might be a possession, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to live, <laughs> frankly, how to live as Messiah followers in this world. There are different kinds of wisdom, uh, according to Hebrew understanding of, of, of wisdom. Proverbs is a book of wisdom, of how it's all supposed to be when everything checks out. When everything works out, the book of Proverbs, yes, indeed, is the book of wisdom. You know, if we do A, then B will take place. But there's two other great books of wisdom, and Psalm 90 kind of falls into that little genre, and that is Job and Ecclesiastes. Two great books of the Bible, right? That are hard, hard books. And they are great books of wisdom because they teach us how to live as righteous men and women, blameless men and women, in a world that's full of sin and full of disappointment uh, and, and full of bad things uh, that, uh, that happen. And so as the Lord teaches us to make every day count, what he wants from us is not just that we have some kind of self-fulfilling experience. No but that we gain wisdom. We gain wisdom in knowing how to walk in this world, how to negotiate this world as men and women of God, to be a light in the midst of this dark world. You know, in other words, not to give in, but to say, Lord, despite all of this, may I live above, stay above the fray, as I like to say. Stay above the fray and walk with you. And then he prays, do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And have compassion. It says in my trans, be sorry for thy servants. I mean, have compassion for thy servants. Do return. Now, in Moses' day, the idea of returning was, Lord, like, turn around. Lord, uh, change your mind. Lord, you know, change it, make it different. But now, from the perspective of the coming of Yeshua, I think it's more like literally, return. Oh, Lord, because that's when the change takes place, you know? Return, oh, Lord, how long will it be? You know, um, many years ago, uh, when I was living in Los Angeles, uh, as, as you may know, um, I um, befriended a, a Palestinian uh, pastor, and uh, we started an, an, uh, an Arab-Jewish fellowship of believers, uh, that ex exists still to this day. It's a real great blessing. Uh, and so when I met him and he met me, we, we would go around and, and talk about uh, the issue, all, you know, the elephant in the room, you know, Israel, Palestinians. and all. Now this goes back to some, where some of you may not have even been around. This goes back to the 1980s, all right? And this was in the 1980s we were having these discussions. So Jamil, his name was Jamil. And uh, we would talk, and, and we would, you know, he, would, he, he really gave me a lot of insight into a lot of things. And I shared with him a lot of things about Israel and Jewish people. And at some point in the conversation, he would just stop, and this is what he would say. He was a messianic. He would say this. Come, Lord Jesus! <laughs> 
In other words, there's no hope. There's ultimately, there's nothing except the return of the Lord. When Yeshua returns, that is when, indeed, there will be peace, you know? Uh, and so, in our world, really, I, I, that is our prayer. But Moses does not give up, give up hope. He says a lot of other things here. But if you go down toward the end of the psalm, in verses 16 and 17, he says, Let thy work appear to thy servants, and thy majesty to, thy ch- to their children. And let the favor of the Lord God be upon us, and do confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. That's very interesting. This idea of confirming the work of our hands. Okay? So he says, let thy work appear to thy servants and thy majesty to their children. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. To cut to the chase, Lord, in this this in-between time period, Make our work count. Make it count for you. And may our children see that the work of our hands counts for you. And may our children see your majesty as we serve. But that doesn't mean just vocational ministry. Whatever we do, whatever the work is that we do, like we read in the Brichadasha, may it be as unto the Lord, you know? And as uh, Peter encourages uh, uh, the people th- whom he's writing to. You're not just serving your masters, you're serving the Lord. And so he's saying in this in-between time, yes, uh, let every day count. May we become filled with wisdom and know how to negotiate this life. And may everything that we do count for you and may our children see it. Whether we are, uh, uh, we are scrubbing floors uh, we're a doctor or a teacher or a bus driver, whatever it may, it may be. Lord, make everything that we do meaningful. And you know, when we uh, place our lot with the Lord and when we have our eyes fixed on Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, that is indeed uh, how we live. So in other words, there is the, uh, the experience And then there's how we understand the experience. And may I suggest that in our Torah portion for today, that is exactly what Joseph does. He could just say, enough with you already. But no, he says, he understands it. And he says, if it wasn't, if all of this didn't happen, I would not be here to preserve preserve us, right? Uh, And uh, and so he understands. He has, he's, he is, He has let God teach him to number his days and to make his days count, even in the midst of that great difficulty. Okay? And uh, so let me just read one one little thing in the Brit Hanashah that speaks for itself. It's in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, and then we'll be done. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water uh, and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. 
But the present heavens and the earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. Sound familiar? And a thousand years is one day. May I suggest Moses did not get that from Peter. Just thought I'd let you know that. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and the works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay? Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him. And so I, we see that that is the same word that we have here from Peter. Yeah, I, I'm, I know I'm out of time, so I won't even go there. But read Habakkuk. Read Habakkuk chapter 2, in verse 2, when you get a chance. And you'll see that from our perspective, it seems to be taking an awfully long time. But from God's perspective, it's all on time. And what a great hope that is. It's all on time. But what he tells us is, have a vision Join me in my vision, and you will be able to count your, you'll be able to number your days. You will be able to gain wisdom. You will be able to recognize the meaningful and significant work, indeed, that you are doing. And that, my friends, speaks louder than words. If we want to be a light in this world, that needs to be our attitude. That needs to be our walk with God, and then living it out in all the ways that we know. And so as we end one year and we begin a new year, may this be a year where the Lord really is teaching us to number our days. May we gain wisdom and may he establish, indeed, the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Yeshua, our Messiah. Thank you that in him we find our meaning. In him uh, we find our significance. Lord, thank you that you are doing a, a work in this world and that when we embrace Yeshua, we get to participate with you in that work. Lord, thank you th for the assurance that we have of life forever in you, Lord. And God, may we remember that as we live through this life. May we be like Moses, lamenting when things don't go our way or when things are bad, but then running to you and asking you for solace and for peace and for help and for comfort and for aid to get through it. May we never run away from you, Lord, but may we indeed run to you. Lord, every year we, we remember that life is indeed short, Lord. And so may we in one sense live for today, plan for tomorrow, but live indeed for today, embracing this day as the day you have given to us. Lord, we thank you and we pray in Messiah's name.